Welcome everyone, how's the conference going? Good? Yes? I recognize a few faces. Um, I, feel, I feel like we might have been down in the ass together. Is that right? We were all in the ass. Yeah, amazing. A few years ago, stole in the bush. Um, let me introduce myself briefly. Um, and thanks for choosing this session. My name is Eliane Miles. I, um, I, I used to be involved with all things soul related. Um, I was in a previous life a uh, youth and young adults pastor at a church in Crow's Nest called Northside Baptist. And um, loved, Matt, Matt mentored me for quite some time actually. And um, loved the soul family. So it's good to, to be here again. In my current life, I do something a little bit different um, than, I guess, the, the church stuff, which I also love, and um, I get to do social research and um, demographics. So uh, I guess, yeah, that's a little bit about, about me. Um, I, I think there's a real um, opportunity for the, the church and us as believers to be informed about um, what's going on out there and to use data and information to help make wise decisions, not only in the natural, but also then to sort of tune into our spiritual antennas and um, use the information that we know to help us understand what's going on in the world around us, in, in the generations and in the culture that we live in. So it's really important and I, I, I love it. So any questions at any time, please feel free to pipe up. Um, some people often ask me, what in the world um, is social research and people's um, People's attention spans sort of um, turn off as soon as they hear that word research. I don't know if you're anything, anything like that. You think, oh my gosh, what is this research? Um, I once got put on a, a conference like program and it said analyst, and I had like two people come to the session. <laughs> it was really sad. <laughs> um, but we do get to do some fun things. Um, so just to give you a little bit of a, a synopsis, yeah, this is usually what people think about when they think about research. So don't make me at all. I don't want to think about data or information. So hopefully today you won't be um, thinking about this. I know it's probably how you feel after not having slept for a few nights proper. Um, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can get some really great, um, get you inspired about information. So my team, we look a little bit professional, um, but I promise you we're a bunch of normal people and actually social research is not as boring as it seems. So these are some of the people I get to work with. And um, we also do some crazy things instead of just looking like we're super professional. Um, this is us um, stuffing our faces with burgers and um, being okay with just being a little bit embarrassed about having our photos taken. <laughs> um, so the other things that we get to do from time to time is look at what's, like I said, what's happening out there, what's happening culturally, and in the last few years, as I've been doing this role in social research, um, I've gotten to observe a few random things that I think are quite interesting. The first of those was a few years ago, you might have not even been around, um, this thing called planking. Do you remember this thing? Yeah. Like, and we as social researchers, we thought, wow, this is really bizarre. What in the world happened? And our current theory is that it was sort of an accident that went pear-shaped and then people kind of caught up. Um, but over the years, we've gotten to do lots of fun things, like try to work out what color that dress is. That was 2015, a few years ago, you might remember. Was it black and blue or white and gold? We don't really know. And then we were really perplexed last year when this thing happened, and it came as quickly as it went, and we thought, what in the world is this craze? Um, but of course, it, it kind of, like I said, came and went, and, and, then, and then this happened. And I don't know if you, if anyone can like, demonstrate this, but it's too full, so I can't drink that. Oh, is that when you um, the bottle? Like, yeah. yeah, so the, 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 the bottle flip, right? Did, did you guys participate in that? Sadly, yeah, I, I kind of missed the craze and then the whole dab thing, yeah. We were like, what in the world is going on? Um, but um, pretty, pretty fun all around. Um, I guess jokes. Dabbing's finished. Dabbing's finished. Do we have a Is it really alive and well? Because I keep trying to work out what the next thing is and I haven't worked that out yet. So there's dabbing still. Can someone demonstrate? Brilliant. I guess jokes, not jokes aside, but a few things I want to go through today is the new world in which we live. So what's what's happening out there? Um, what's taking place in the external environment in which we find ourselves in in society? 
And the second thing is, what's happening in the church? So how is the church changing? Um, how are people who attend church changing? What, what, the, the, what does the data tell us? And then, like the session says, leadership. So what does that mean for us as leaders? And if it's all right with you guys today, we'll also do just a bit of activation towards the end. And um, just thinking through, like asking the Holy Spirit, just to empower us again afresh as leaders. Now, this whole conference has been about spirit-led um, living. And um, I think leadership, more than anything, needs to be spirit-led. It's about us um, hearing from God and then executing on that. So um, hopefully that's okay with you. So those three things we'll go through today. So firstly, just a few things about what's happening out there. So I, I don't want to inundate you with graphs and figures. You do have some here. If you didn't get these when you came in, feel free to grab them. There's a whole lot of statistics about what's taking place. But to, I guess, long story short, <coughs> Australia is growing. And we're growing at like a million people every three years. Um, we just, in Sydney here last June, reached the five million milestone. So Australia's largest city at five million. Uh, Melbourne's catching up, it's only 10% smaller than Sydney, and it's growing faster. And by the middle of the century, both cities will be at 8 million. And so that's kind of the size of you know, London today. So we're, we're really adding, and you can see that with cranes everywhere, and roads being built, and all, all sorts of stuff. Um, but what it means for us is that there's a lot of dynamism, there's a lot of energy, and in a lot of other countries in the world, we're not, not seeing the type of growth that we're seeing here. We're growing at 1.4% to the rest of the OECD world, which is um, a lot of the developed countries are growing at 1.1%. So that um, means that for Australia, we're in a really good position economically. Things have been a little bit flat, but, but generally because we've got so much growth, um, things are in a pretty positive sort of state at the moment. Um, secondly, we're changing. And we're, we're changing in the sense that um, our communities are taking a different shape because most of the growth that we're experiencing is taking place through migration. So rather than growth of um, net increase, which is like deaths minus the number of people who uh, minus births, 55% um, of our population growth actually comes from um, migration, so individuals who come to Australia to make Australia home. And what that means is that our communities are more diverse than ever before, more and more culturally um, diverse. If you, if you look at the center of, of Sydney, so the, the center of Sydney <coughs> is the place where there's just as many people who live north as south, as east, as west. And that is actually a place called Ermington. Is there anyone from Parramatta or Ermington? Somewhere around there. There might be a few, um, few guys elsewhere who are from that region. Um, but if you look at the Parramatta phone book, it used to be all English names. When we look at it now, um, we know you've got Patel, Lee, and then you've got the English names Smith, Kim, Singh, Chen, Wang, Lee, Chang, and Williams. So you can see how um, the diversity of the top names in Parramatta reflect actually what's happening nationally. And where the centre of Sydney goes, the rest of Australia will go in terms of um, the, the cultural diversity and, and the makeup. When we um, look at migration a few decades ago, we used to have the top countries of migration coming all from Europe, but of course now um, six of the top, five of the top ten source countries for, for Australians who were born overseas are within that Asia region. And our proximity to Asia means that we're in that really um, great position as a nation. Actually, if you think about it, um, where is Australia? <laughs> oh my goodness, it's dropped off the map. <laughs> no idea what that <laughs> But if you think about it, this <coughs> circle um, has more people in the world um, than outside of it. So in, in, if you draw a little circle in the world here, there's actually more people living within that circle than outside of it. And we're obviously really close to that if we can work to exist on the map. <laughs> um, we're also aging. And... Um, you learn about this in school, population pyramids and all that stuff. But of course, population pyramids, they show like how many people are young and old. And they're becoming inverted, where there's now going to mean more people that are older than, than younger. And, and what that means for you guys is that you have to work a lot harder over your life to contribute to society because things are kind of getting squeezed a little bit. Um, <coughs> we've added 10 years of life expectancy in the last 40 years. So that's a crazy stat, isn't it? Like, huge. So really, like a 50-year-old today is like a 40-year-old of a generation ago. 
um, a 40-year-old is like a 30-year-old of a generation ago. So anyone who's getting older, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is amazing to think that because of that longevity, we're kind of in denial about getting older, and most of us don't really want to think about it. And this sort of baby boomer generation that's now on their kind of way of transitioning out of the workforce, they particularly just don't really, um, you know, kind of believe that they're getting older, so they're going to be living older younger. But for you guys, um, what it means is that, like I said, you've got to work harder. So um, if you go back 40 years, um, you, we had 15 people of working age, so people aged 15 to 64 for every couple of retirement age. So if you think about people who have to support the, the workforce that has to support an aging, um, aging population, now we've got nine people <coughs> in, in, of working age for every couple of retirement age. But as we fast forward to 40 years' time, we'll just have 5.4 people of working age uh, for every uh, couple of retirement age. So it's just saying you know, we've got to work out how to be more efficient and how to work better and, and smarter. And not only are we growing, changing, aging, we're also moving. And there's, there's more movement that's happening um, in our world than ever before. We're moving jobs, moving houses, um, moving partners, <laughs> moving careers. Um, at the moment, uh, most Australians, they um, they move house quite frequently, so every seven years, which might be a lot, but we've got more renters than ever before, and people who rent, they move house on average every 1.8 years, so like every 18 months to, to two years, people are moving house. <coughs> on average, people are moving jobs quite a lot, so Across the board, it's three years and four months is, is the average length of time that you might stay in a job. But of course, when you're younger, uh, you might be six months or who knows, maybe a bit, a bit longer than that. Um, it's what, one year and eight months, I think, for people under 25. So that's kind of the average length of time. So there's, there's a lot more churn, a lot more movement. And of course, you guys are going to be spending, um, you've spent a lot of time in school, but you're also going to be spending a lot of time um, in the workforce. And so how you approach, uh, you know, you're spending six times the amount of, of time you're spending in school in the workforce, so how you approach um, the future is, is, is really important. And back in the day when we used to think about leadership and progression and careers and, and, and movement, uh, of course it was very linear. So you would go to a, um, a, a trade school or a university and come out with a profession or a trade. And of course nowadays, um, life is a bit more uh, fluid and <coughs> all over the place and you might go and um, spend some time overseas for a bit, or you might choose to be an entrepreneur and start a tech business, or um, you might just decide to hang out and not worry about your career for a while, or you might do something and then transition. So, so you do need to be, I guess, um, it's interesting to think through the, the changes that are happening externally, so that we're growing, moving, um, aging and changing, and, and I guess what that means for us, because on average, you guys are going to have 17 jobs across five careers and live in 15 homes in your lifetime. And so that is a lot of, a lot of change that's wow. taking shape. So maybe just take 30 seconds and um, all there's been a lot of information really briefly. Just talk to the person next to you about one thing that you've seen that's changed in, in I guess, the world that we live in, the society that, that we sort of um, take shape in. So just 30 seconds about something that you've noticed.
So, just to bring those of you that didn't get any handouts, they're at the door. So, just really briefly, and does anyone is anyone brave enough to share um, what they discussed about what they they're observing that's changing around them? Electronics. Electronics. The world has become more dependent on social media. Yeah, social media. Yeah. Um, the structure of the family. <coughs> yeah, family's changing. A lot of neighbourhoods in Sydney are rapidly changing. Like uh, I was saying, Chatswood, for a while it was the sea of cranes, and there's just stacks and stacks of 15, 20 story um, mm. unit blocks. Yeah. Totally different lifestyle yeah. to what was there 20 years ago, 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah, and if you go to like Parramatta, I was in one of the towers recently and, and you're standing there and you look around sort of 360 degree view and I couldn't count the number of cranes. It was unbelievable. Mm. <laughs> it was really amazing, the, the growth that's happening. It's really tangible and you can see it. Yeah. <coughs> People change their degrees all the time. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we're just saying, like, all right, I mean, as uni students, we see people stopping in and out of degrees yeah. often. too many words and we can't really communicate anymore so the way that people are taking in information is all through visuals and visual imagery <coughs> rather than through words because we're sort of bombarded with an environment where there's, there's so much that we've got to get our heads around. Um, we used to, maybe in our parents' age when they went to school, they, they used to um, have sort of an awareness of what they call Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? This is what you need to have to have your basic needs met. And you've got survival at the bottom, that's your base need, and then security, um, making sure that you're safe. You've got your social needs, your relationships, and then of course, your self-esteem, making sure that you're confident. And then, and then at the top, you have this little peak where self-actualization. So if you've got all these base things, you get to the top and you, um, you feel like you've sort of been able to contribute back to the world. But of course, nowadays, um, the very foundation of what helps us to feel safe and secure and contribute to society is no longer survival, but Wi-Fi. Um, so, <laughs> what do we do when 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 all the, the sort of the Wi-Fi ends and, and the connection to the internet is no longer there? We kind of don't really know what to do anymore. Um, in 1997, the year that Google was registered as a domain, um, we had an extraordinary thing happen where people started spending more time on screens than in face-to-face -face interaction. So you've got your um, electronic, uh, sorry, your face-to-face -face time in the blue there coming down, and your green screen time on the way up. And of course now people spend 10 hours and 19 minutes on looking at screens every day. 10 hour, 19 minutes, not, might not be like chronological linear time because we obviously multi-screen, but what that means is that we're constantly connected and, and switched on and, and trying to engage. Um, just to show you how much this has changed over time, um, I'll take you back to the Sistine Chapel in Rome when um, the Paul, um, Paul Benedict was um, inaugurated. And um, that was 
sort of outside of the Sistine Chapel there. Has anyone travelled to Rome? Had the opportunity to do that, a few of you? So it's a huge, huge um, courtyard and palace. And then the same event happened in 2013 for Pope Francis. And, um, and of course, it was a very different, um, <laughs> different environment, wasn't it? Um, all of a sudden, uh, you can see how things have changed. And up here, you can actually see that flip phone. I don't know if anyone's got one somewhere in the house, in the cupboard somewhere. Um, yeah, so, so all of that means that, I guess, yeah, that we're sort of, our, our whole psyche is changing. When you look back to this graph, the whole way that people communicate and interact is, is very different. <coughs> And of course, you guys, as, as leaders, we're soon seeing a transition of, of the baby boomer generation out of the workforce, and we get to take charge. But of course, we think very differently, and we, we approach things very differently. Um, so it is it's interesting. Um, let's talk for a moment about faith and the church and how things are changing. I'm aware of, of data getting in the way. Um, this is sort of how um, a lot of the world is feeling at the moment about what's happening out there. So it's sort of this world that we live in where we've got more uncertainty. They call it a VUCA world, a world of vulnerability, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And, and that's what we're seeing um, not only the, in terms of the de demographics, but of course uh, in the rest of the world, um, you talk about Brexit and, and Trump and, and, and so many other um, systems that are being shaken uh, because of um, sort of people's increasing empowerment. So we've got most of the world now connected to Wi-Fi, and so people who don't have as much are now <coughs> seeing the, the world of people who have more than they do, and that's causing unrest and frustration um, across the globe in these sort of ripples of, 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 of frustration. You can imagine um, individuals um, in, in poor parts of the world who've got friends and relatives who are living perhaps in parts of Europe or Australia, and they're connecting with them on social media. They're getting to see their world. They're getting to understand that they're actually you know, trapped in a place where there's no opportunity. And when there isn't opportunity, uh, people do feel that sense of angst. And, and that's why we're seeing sort of these rumbles of uncertainty around the world, um, these sort of exit movements and things like that. And in Australia, when it comes to the, the church, I guess because of that sort of uncertainty, um, people, are also less, uh, people are also less likely to cling on to to faith, particularly in developed countries. Um, we've got church attendance in Australia here from the 1950s. You can see that sort of <coughs> downward curve now where we've got about one in seven people attending church at least monthly. Um, that figure drops um, a little bit lower to people who attend church every week. So it's about one in um, 11 Australians, about 9%. So that, that's, I guess, the, the reality of, of the church. And it's, it's tricky to, um, to think through that because it means that obviously God's got a plan and we know he does, um, but the figures sort of tell a story that uh, sometimes it's hard to hear. If we look at the, the, the church over time, uh, we see that um, the population 40 years ago um, compared to the population of the church today um, is, is, um, is, is different. So for example, this is the, the population 40 years ago in the gray, this is the size of the population, if you just take that size was this 14 million and the population today at 24 million, at 23 million on that graph. Um, and you can see the size of the church in, in, in green back then and the size of the church now. So even though our population has grown, um, the size of the church has actually declined slightly over that period of time. So you can see um, <coughs> the effects there. And also most of, um, you, know, you can see the decrease here in religion and Christianity and attendance over time. So You've got a, um, a decreased proportion of people who adhere to Christianity, a decreased proportion who are in church, and an increase in people who say that they're not religious. Um, within the church, we also have this thing called the aging church, and, and our church is actually across Australia aging more um, than the population even. So even though we have an aging population, um, we now see that the, um, the, the church is in fact is in fact a lot older. So while only a quarter of the population is aged over 60, so this is a quarter of the, the total Australian population, within the church, 44% of people who attend church regularly who are faith-filled believers are actually over the age of 60. So we've got some challenges in, in terms of the, the, the church demographic, and, and um, obviously this is awesome, um, you know, youth conferences and youth camps. Um, and, and and most people actually come to faith when they're young. <coughs> so um, 
four in five uh, people who uh, follow Jesus come to faith um, before the age of 20. So that's, that's huge. And then that's where, uh, you know, in, when you think about the impact that you can have on the world around you, um, at this age is, is like where it all happens. <laughs> it really is. It's around, around um, when you're young. How do people come to faith and, and how do people get influenced to connect with, with Jesus? Well, usually it's it's their family. It's the families play a big role. <coughs> so you've got moms and, and dads, and then of course you might have your church minister, uh, your youth leader, and then your friends and peers. So yeah, you've got a lot of things that that shape people's faith. Um, but it's amazing to see that yeah, the youth minister and leader, youth leaders and, and peers are sort of right up there in terms of shaping whether people connect with Jesus and, and stick with the with with the faith as well. And, and as well, the top activities for coming to church camp actually makes it all the way. Um, church is, is a big thing, and then scripture or RE, <coughs> sorry, in schools, um, and then youth groups, Sunday schools, and, and camp. So these are the sort of the key things across the board, not just across young people, but across any Australians in terms of helping them come to faith. Um, these are the, the key things that, that work. Todd Sampson from the Gruen Transfer, he summed it up in a, in a way that kind of makes sense to me when he said that. When it comes to the church, Australians like the product. They just don't like the retail outlet. And um, I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? We've got to think through how do we make um, this gathering of, of Jesus followers uh, something that people can connect with and engage with and something that um, that works for people. And, and that's, that's one, of the, one of the greatest challenges, I think, that this next generation has um, to grapple with. Because when I look at scripture, I do see a different picture in terms of how Jesus sees his church. Um, and it's not one that is, you know, you look at the figures and it all looks, oh my gosh, this is, you know, on the downward trend. And that's where spirit-led leadership comes into play. Because God has a very different picture about how he sees his church and, and what he believes for his bride and how we can sort of be the hands and feet of, of, of his bride throughout the world. In Ephesians, it says that the church is not peripheral to the world. This is the message translation. Uh, the world is actually peripheral to the church. Um, the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, <coughs> by which he fills everything with his perspective. And so most of us as young people, I don't know if you're anything like this, you want to, you want to create change. You want to impact um, the world around you. And... Yet, it seems like it's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Um, if we're really honest, it seems like it's difficult. And, and yet, what that scripture just said to us is that we're actually, um, through Jesus, peripheral, that, that the world is peripheral to us, that the world actually revolves around God's plan on the earth, not around what we're seeing in the natural. And that's where tuning into what the Spirit has to say is, is really, really critical. Um, we all want to make a difference. We all want to have an impact and change the world. And at times, it can feel like um, the world kind of is pressing in on us. And I guess the, the key thing to think through when we're thinking about how to make a difference and how to impact the world around us is that it's sort of like when you're at a river and you're sort of skipping some stones. <coughs> And it's so to think about the ripple that's created when you cast a stone on water, and and that's kind of what happens, isn't it? When you when you want to impact and create change, you're, you're doing something, you're doing an action, you're throwing a stone and and moving that stone forward. But of course, the difference to perhaps a generation ago or two is that the water is no longer still. So that when we're casting a ripple to try to impact change, um, we're actually casting it on. Um, on, on, on water that is already moving. And so what happens is that it's harder to, to cast a ripple and to make an impact. And it's just something to be aware of. Mother Teresa said, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. So we can impact the world, we can change things, and yet the stones that we're casting are often on changing seas and on stormy currents. And so that's <coughs> the world in which we live hence why it's so important to think about um, how we lead in that type of environment when, when things are sort of um, changing and adapting. 
Any comments on um, how we're seeing the church change or, or what you've noticed? And, and I guess that sense or, or um, yeah, maybe, maybe again spend 20 seconds just in person next to you about what, what's your sense of what's good, what God's doing in the church right now um, in terms of us being, um, the world being peripheral to us. Some things that you're observing. <coughs> to you, right? It's called customer experience or 
everything that you do um, is customized for you um, in terms of your preferences and your likes and your interests. And so, of course, that psyche then begins to get into people when they, they demand that things are tailored to exactly what they want. Um, and, of course, that's a bit difficult in the church, isn't it? Because it's not about us. It's not about this me, me generation or, or having it be about me. It's actually about Jesus. So the whole paradigm of the world in which we're living in gets flipped on its head because it isn't about us. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, just, just um, take. I just want to take you back for a minute to ten years ago. And this is actually me. I, I, I went through my Facebook yesterday and I picked out the most horrid image of myself. Um, but I just thought I'd share a, a brief story of um, me. This is nineteen-year-old me. Uh, ten years ago, I, I came to Australia to go to Bible college, so I was really like enthused and excited, I'm from, from Canada, and, and so this is me like the, the week I arrived, um, walking to, to Bible college, and I'm just like, I'm going to change the world um, with, with worship, and, and with um, I'm going to be a worship leader, so I, I came with my, my suitcase and my guitar, <coughs> and packed up my life in Canada, um, flew across the world, and decided to, to, to spend some time with God. And, and then I entered this, and just so you don't have to look at that picture anymore, I'll like, do that. It's a bit, a bit more softly. But um, I entered this environment where all of a sudden the Bible college I went to, all they would talk about was leadership. Leadership, leadership, leadership. And I kind of like, I just turned off. I was just not interested in the word leadership. I was like, I'm going to change the world, and I'm just going to be a worship leader. Um, but I was immersed in this environment where they consistently spoke about being a leader and, and impacting the world around you and, and changing changing the environment and the atmosphere and, and being significant. And even though I didn't want to have a bar of soap um, of it at the time, it's coming really handy. I have to let you know. So if you do ever get a chance to immerse yourself in an environment that talks about leadership a lot, it's, it's actually really critical because we don't just lead um, you know, in our homes with our friends at school. We, we, we as believers, we get lots of opportunities to lead. And if you're open to having God lead your life, it is the most crazy roller coaster encounter that you will ever go through. And God will give you opportunities to lead people, to lead organizations, to lead communities, um, because he can trust you. And when God can trust you, there's no end to the opportunities that will come, and therefore no end to the um, amount of leadership training um, that you might want to get ready for. It, it really is. I mean, if you get an opportunity to think about how to be a better leader, how to impact the world around you, how to take charge for Jesus, how to be his hands and feet and, and let him move through you, um, there's no end to what he can do through you. And he will create opportunities um, because he is looking, he's scanning, the Spirit is scanning the earth and looking for people who will say, yes, God, I, I will go or I will do this. And it's you pursuing your passions, pursuing the things that you're, you're passionate about, and he will put opportunities in front of you. You don't have to be concerned or scared that you're going to be left behind. There is enough to go around for everyone when it comes to, to God and his kingdom and the opportunities that he wants to give us to, to um, impact the world. So leadership is kind of a big deal. Um, it, 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 really, it really is. And it, if anything um, that you think about, it, it's, it's actually you, your, your guys' chance to take charge. Currently in the workforce, you've got all these older generations, they're kind of moving out. Um, within the next decade, you're going to have 64% of the workforce made up of Gen Z and Gen Y. So young people, young people are taking charge. And the way that we lead, the way that we learn to lead um, is, is really critical. And of course, to lead others, we've got to work out how, to, how, how we lead ourselves. And um, in my little journey of, of leadership, um, as I've been having opportunities to lead teams and um, uh, lead my family and, and lead people and, and communities. Uh, well, there's two things that I feel the, the, that we've got to sort of overcome in this season. Two, two things that I feel is kind of taking away from our ability to, to live a spirit-led life and to be spirit-led leaders. And I've experienced these. I, I know other people have experienced them. So I just thought I would share those two things with you this morning. So is there anything that's going to get in the way of us leading well? Um, the first, the first of those is um, a thing called distraction. So I don't want to point to the screen necessarily, um, to, but but it is a, a level of, of distraction 
that's happening across the world. Um, I was in my journaling the other day and some of the things that the Holy Spirit was sharing with me around distraction is that um, that God said to me that his bride, so Jesus, uh, the church is finding it harder to tune out of the distractions and tune into him. Uh, a lot of good things are happening across the world um, and things are taking shape and God's mobilizing people um, but he can't mobilize people who are distracted. Um, and so it's one of the key things for us to be mindful in this era where we're constantly switched off is that actually God's continuously reaching out to us to communicate to us, to speak with us, to share his heart with us, to show us how to lead in each and every situation. Um, but we, we do get a little bit distracted, don't we? Um, and so I think that's, that's one of, the, the, one of the, the things that I feel the, the Holy Spirit is um, asking us to overcome. And it is, it is true, I, I get it, it's, it's actually not easy because we're scared of stuff. Like, we're scared of, of having the low Wi-Fi signal and we're scared of, of that sort of circle that spins and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, what, what do I do? And we're scared of that as well. Um, what in the world do we do when, when we can't get connected? I mean, it's scary. Um, and I guess in, in those moments where you feel that angst of, oh my gosh, I've been landlined, I can't get connected, think actually, maybe God wants to do something else in this moment. And, and he's, he's always reaching out and trying to connect to me. Um, and it's harder because our attention spans are so much shorter. I'm so impressed with you guys sitting here for this full you know, period of time that we've had together um, because our attention spans have actually decreased from 12.5 seconds in 2012 to 8.9 seconds now or something to that. It's under 10, under, under 10 seconds. So I know that every 10 seconds you're tuning out and there's something else going on in your head. That's just reality. That's how we live. And the Holy Spirit knows that and he's, he's okay with it. Um, but the more that we're aware of that um, and aware of what he's wanting to do, the, the better. And the other thing that I, um, so we've got distraction, and the other thing that I feel that we've got to overcome is this thing called, um, sorry, I'll skip that, um, this thing called competition. And um, it's, it's because we're constantly seeing everyone else's world and we're comparing ourselves <coughs> to each other. We've created an environment in which we're constantly trying to outdo each other. Even if, it's, even if it's like just because we've got a great Instagram post or my story is like awesome and better than yours. Um, so I was playing Ticket to Rise. Anyone played this the other, um, this game? This sort of a board game where you build tunnels, uh, build roads and tunnels and stuff. So I was playing this last Saturday. We were with some friends over Easter, and and I I got really competitive. And I sat there and I was like trying to have a really relaxing Saturday night. I don't know if you've ever had that. You're at a board game and you're just like this is going to be fun. And and all of a sudden I was like really trying to win. I mean in the end I, I tied for last place, so it didn't really work. But I, I just found myself getting so competitive, I'm like, I just want to win. And, and I think that's something that um, I was then reflecting on, why did I really want to win at that board game? Why did I want to just come out on top all the time? And I think um, in my own life, and I know the lives of people that I know, we're, we're constantly trying to, to be the best and, and, and to, to be seen for being the best, because now it's not only about being the best, it's about showing the fact that we're the best. And that's where we get our kudos. I was reflecting on that, thinking, what would like, what, what would Jesus do? I mean, what, what what would Jesus do if he had an Instagram account and if he had a Facebook account and if he, um, you know, was on e got bombarded with emails? I mean, what what would he do? How would he interact with the world around him? And and sort of we're in this I generation where it's all about us and me. And you can get your Coke bottle individualized. You can get your Nutella with your name on it. You can get your Vegemite with your name on it. I mean, you can get everything you know tailored around around you. Um, and, and that's where I came to, um, just because it was Easter, but I was thinking about um, a passage <coughs> of scripture where, where you might have heard this in church last su Sunday, actually, if you were in church and they talked about the empty tomb. <coughs> so Jesus, he, um, he's, he's, he's buried, and then three days later he rises, and, and then there's a stone and gets put, put away, and he's, he's out there, and, and Mar well, he's, he's somewhere, he's actually missing. Mary comes along, right? Mary's sort of the first person who sees Jesus, so Mary Adeline. She comes along, um, John 20. Um, she's out, I'm just going to paraphrase, uh, paraphrase tw um, John 20, 10 to 18. It says that um, the disciples went back, and Mary was at the tomb, and she's crying. And she's weeping, and she's seeing these angels where Jesus' body has been, and they're like, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken him away, and I don't know where they've put him. And, and so then she turns around and she sees this man. 
and, and it's Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. And he says, woman, why are you crying? And um, she thinks it's the gardener, right? That's what Mary thinks it's the gardener. She's like, um, well, you know, if, if you knew where he was, tell him, tell me where he is, because I, I, I want to see him, I, I want to see his body. And then what, is, what does Jesus do? Like, in that moment, what, is, what, is he, what does he do? He says her, her name. So this is the same, sorry, I'm going to come back to that. He says, he says her name, right? He says Mary. Mary. And, and think about this. Jesus has just completed the biggest mission on earth that any human being in any period of time will ever accomplish. He's just achieved, like, gold at the Olympics. He has just taken this crazy, like, he's done the biggest mission and mandate that God has ever had on any human being. And, and Jesus has just done it. He's just gone to the cross. He's carried our sin. He's, he's come back and he's been raised from the dead. Like, he's, he's actually completed his mission. And for the rest of us, like, if I was going to go and complete a massive mission, run my marathon, whatever, come back and be like, oh, my gosh, I put this on Instagram, right? Like, you know, you want to share it. You want to share what you've done and, and you want to share how great that's been and, and the accomplishment. And yet what Jesus does, the first thing is not about, it's not about him going, hey, I, here I am, ta-da. And that's why I put these photos in, because I thought these were hilarious. Because it shows, like, Jesus of the tomb, like, going, hey, ta-da, I'm here, I've done it. And so this is such a wrong <laughs> representation of what actually happened, because Jesus wasn't promoting himself or his accomplishments after he just carried out the biggest mission on earth. The thing that he did um, in approaching Mary was actually reach out to her. And in that very first moment, his very first encounter, after he accomplished what he set out to do on the earth, he was thinking about the needs of someone else. He was thinking about her and how she was feeling and how distraught she was. And she, he was reaching out going, Mary, Mary, I'm here. Or, you know, be comforted. You're okay. It's going to be all right. Like he was actually reaching out to her. And so even though he just completed this mammoth mission, his very first thing that he did was reach out um, to others and, and think about others which is really a crazy thing to think about, isn't it? Um, when you stop and reflect on it <coughs> for a moment. So I, I want to just stop there with, with that and, and let that sit for a bit, but also just kind of activate us um, in following the example of Jesus. Of, of God's going to give us lots of opportunities. We see the world's changing. He needs us. He needs us on the ground. And when we do those things, it's going to be awesome. And we can share about it and we can be excited um, and also remember that it is about him. It's not about us doing the best thing or being the best or, or accomplishing or achieving the best, but it is about actually him and, and his kingdom and, and about others because um, that's, that's who he is. He's constantly reaching out um, to others. Is that all right if we stand up and, and maybe just um, take a moment to pray together, um, asking the Lord to fill us um, and, and just lead us um, forward? And I might even just um, pray around some of the things that, um, I don't know if, if anyone's brave enough to say, hey, actually, yeah, I do struggle with distraction, or yeah, I do think the world's a big competition. <laughs> I'll be the first one to say, actually, yeah, that's, that's, that's often how I feel. Um, and we need the Holy Spirit to, um, to um, yeah, to, to sort of help us see the, the, the bigger picture. So why don't we just, just tune into him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in this room right now. And on this Thursday morning, we just um, shake our shoulders <laughs> and just let it go. Let the week go. Let our thoughts go. Let our, um, let our distractions go. And we just focus on you just for a moment, Holy Spirit. We welcome you into this room, into our hearts. Just take a moment just to thank him in your heart and just reflect on his goodness. Yeah, God, we thank you for everything that you're doing in the earth. And, and 
all that you're calling us to. We thank you for all of the opportunities that you have for us to lead and to lead well and to be led by you. And, and Holy Spirit, we just pray this morning that you would fill us afresh. Fill us afresh with your eyes and your heart. Just pray for an impartation right now of, of, of your um, leadership over our lives. And, and this morning, Holy Spirit, we say to you, we want to lead. We want to lead for you. <coughs> we are willing vessels that want to lead um, for you and for your kingdom. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd help us to, to see when we're being distracted. And, and um, right now, I just want to break off <coughs> sort of that, that distraction over our lives and say, hey, God, we're yours. We're completely yours um, in every moment, um, in every season, every situation. We actually give our lives to you, and we're ready for you to speak to us, we're ready for you to, to share your heart with us. And as well as the competition that we feel, God, we, we, just, we just break that off for our lives as well. That need to, to be someone or, or to, um, to compare our lives with others. We just know that you, you've got it. You've got us. And you, you see our picture. You see each one of us. And you see the plan you have for, for our lives. And, and we're not going to ever be cut short. There's, there's no, there's no um, second place in your kingdom. There's, there's no... Um, there's, there's no coming short when it comes to you, God. You, you've not overlooked us. You have a plan for each and every one of us, um, and a plan that's great. It's not a small plan. It's a great plan for any of us who are willing to hear and listen and lead. The plan you have for us is a great one. And so we just, um, we just submit our lives afresh to you and, and afresh to your leadership and say, God, yeah, we're willing. We're willing to, to respond um, to what you have for us and how you want to lead us. I just encourage you to form groups um, and, and just pray over people. If this is something that is on, is on your heart and, and you want some prayer for, <coughs> it might be someone next to you, or maybe just form groups of two or three and, and just huddle and, and just express <coughs> um, your hearts to, to him about what you want to see. So just invite you to do that if, if you, if you want to do that, just for, we've got a bit more time so even just for a few moments, just to, to find a small group and, and just to pray, pray with each other. Mm. Mm.